0: The opinions expressed on That's a Foul do not reflect the view of any organization to which the host or guest are affiliated or employed. Welcome to That's a Foul. In today's show, we have a second episode with Tyler Bradshaw, author and creator of seeyabub.com. This specific story was clipped out of our larger conversation last week and is being produced as a standalone episode. If you did not listen to episode 6 and want some background on Ty, go ahead and check that one out first. I want to tell you up front, this is not going to be an easy show to listen to. It's going to challenge you to evaluate what you know about mental health and how you treat people who are having some problems. Uh, It was easy talking to my friend, but the subjects we're going to cover certainly hit me uh, really heavy on my heart. Tyler's father, Scott, passed away on July twenty fourth, 2013. And uh, since then, Tyler has been a tireless advocate for spreading the good word on who his father is, what their relationship means to him, and how to help others deal with loss. With all things, it's good to talk about how you're feeling, share some laughs and tears with the ones closest to you, and uh, live that human experience. If you have some time, go to seeabub.com. that's S-E-E-Y-A-B-U-B dot com, and read one of Tyler's posts about his dad. His ability to capture the most minute memories will envelop you. I want to give a huge thank you and shout out to our USA Polo women's national team coach, Adam Krakorian for continuing to remind us all to talk about mental health. Although I've never met him, plenty of folks I admire have told me he's a stand-up guy. If you need help or know of someone who does please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. I don't know what you want to tell us about. Mm-hmm. See you, Bob. I don't know yeah. what you to tell us about your dad, Scott. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to... It's an open mic. Yep. You know, um really <clears throat> curious because you and I really haven't Super Duper dug into that, yeah. Um, and we've we've spent some time together since since 2013. But uh, just gonna share a little bit about mm-hmm. what you do with that, how it affected you. You know what you're doing now with your blog. You're gonna join the podcast community, hopefully. And if I can I figure am, it out. Yeah, uh, I'm. Trust me, I've got I've got hours <laughs> into it. I could Good. probably teach it to you in a Good. matter of minutes. Good. But um, it's not that hard. You just turn on the mic and press play, but or record, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, man. I mean, mic is yours, dude. What do you? Yeah. What do you got to share?
1: So, um, grew up in as, a, as an only child, as I mentioned, and my um, had two loving parents, uh, and, and really kind of an, an ideal childhood, right? We, in my mind, an ideal childhood is you've you've got enough to get by, but not enough where you you take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that was our life. You know, my parents always worked very hard. My mom, Becky, um, great mom great provider. Like she, she always worked, but she always knew like, I'm, I'm going to work a couple days a week so I can take care of my son. And my dad, Scott, um, so th- the way I kind of describe my dad to people who didn't know him is like, we had a similar personality, but the, the manifestation of our talents just completely opposed. Um, my dad was a very skilled craftsman, so he he was a carpenter um he was a maintenance technician at a steel plant was kind of his his uh career fixed big machines that cut you know steel down into into size and things like that he was a very talented builder of things so he built this beautiful like ornate deck around our, our pool in the backyard he actually built a two-and-a-half-car garage and foyer on, onto our home, like, only had to hire contractors to, to pour the concrete. He did everything else, the electrical work, everything like that. I have no ability to, to do anything related to home repair or big issues come up. Like, I'm the guy who's got to shell out all kinds of money <laughs> to get somebody else to fix it. Um, my dad was a super-talented athlete. Like, he was the guy who... Uh, up until the last week of his life, played he was playing softball in the in the church league, and he could still outrun the the sixteen and seventeen year old high school kids on the team. Um, but he he just he was always a very good athlete. I inherited none of that, and had to be an extreme disappointment uh, in in the in the field. He we always though came together like our sense of humor. We mm-hmm. we had the same kind of sense of humor, and I I think that I inherited that mostly from my dad. My my mom can be funny too, but I mean, my dad was just, he was the jokester. Um, some of the stories I tell early on in the blog, probably my favorite is, uh, so my, my dad would, would be watching TV and we'd all be in the family room, right? And a Victoria's Secret commercial would, would come on the, the TV, okay? And my dad would go into character and he would sit there, just eyes as big as Frisbees, right? <laughs> Just staring at this commercial. And my mom would catch on and kind of look at him. And then right as it got up to the tail end of the the commercial, he'd just go, man, she is ugly. Like, and it was, I mean, it was just timing at its best. He he was so good at that. The other story that's probably my favorite about my dad, um, always grew up going to church. And my dad was, uh, he would often be an usher at church. You know, he'd go up to the front, pastor would call on somebody to pray, and then they'd walk and, and pass the plates. So my dad, as part of his like comedic kind of repertoire, he, he acquires a set of these Billy Bob teeth. Have you seen these yeah, things? Yeah, okay. sure. So unbeknownst to my mom, <laughs> who I'm, I'm, thankfully I'm not in church this day. It's just my mom and my dad. My dad takes these things to church. He gets called to be an usher. He goes up to the front, and as he's walking up, he pops his teeth in. <laughs> so he's facing the front, the pastor's facing the 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 sanctuary. Pastor looks up, sees my dad, and just loses it. I mean, he's he's in tears. He's getting ready to, you know. And everybody else is sitting out there, like, what's what's he laughing at? <laughs> the the pastor then has my dad pray. So my dad does it in this character that he's developed and then turns <laughs> around and he's got these teeth, like, pointing out of every direction of his mouth. And everybody in the church except for my mom is just hysterical. And I'm, like, to be a fly on the wall in that car on the ride home and to know, like, what my mom likely said to him about bringing these teeth to church, <laughs> uh, it, it's she, – she related the story to me afterwards and I was like, this – this could be it like this, you know, this and, and she's justified. Like I, I get it. They may never sit together at church sure, again. That's fine. Um, so my dad was always just a, he was a funny guy. He, sure. he was the guy who could always bring a smile to people's faces. You go to family events. Kids just gravitate towards him because he's, he's a kid himself. Um, but the one thing that my dad struggled with under the surface was depression. And I didn't know about it. until mm-hmm. I was in high school. Uh, it was junior year in high school. I come home one day and immediately, you know, I know that something's not right because I, I pull around the corner and there's a couple cars in the driveway, that sort of thing. And they sit me down and it's my mom, my grandpa, and my dad's boss. So odd conglomeration of folks. Um, and they say, Tyler, we, we don't really know how to tell you this, um, but your dad is depressed. Um, and he suffers from clinical depression, and we don't know where he is. And in my mind, it's like two things. It's like, number one, it's like a Thursday afternoon. The guy's a workaholic. He works 60, 70 hours a week in a steel plant. Like, has anybody checked at work? Because he's probably there. And number two, like, my dad's not depressed. Like, this is the guy who, if you have those people in your life who are like, so happy all the time that their happiness is actually kind of a bit, bit annoying to you, right? Like, that that was my dad. Um, and they said, Tyler, you're not quite understanding what depression is because you can have the best home life, the best work life, the most money, the best circumstances, and, and depression can, can affect you. And they said, you know, your dad struggled with this pretty much his entire adult life, but we've kept it from you because he's managed it well. Um, And he's not had a a serious, serious moment like this since actually before you were born. But his way of dealing with his depression is that he just, he just takes off. We don't know where he goes. And um, I, I just didn't buy it. But then, you know, Thursday night, he doesn't come home. Friday night, he doesn't come home, and then Saturday, finally, he he ends up, um, I mean, just talk about strange circumstances, but he was at a rest stop in Indiana in his truck, and a police officer located him and and brought him home. Um, I didn't deal well with it. Biggest regret of my entire life is the way I I, uh, reacted to my dad that night, because I, I came home, and my dad always called me Bub. Uh, that was his, his nickname for me, and that's where the, the name of the blog comes from. I, I think it was partially because he wanted to name me Kurt, which I, I, I'm not really a Kurt. My mom wanted to name me Tyler. Um, she had to go through nine months of carrying me in labor, so she gets to choose the name, right? So I think he called me Bub. as like a, a silent protest type of thing. <laughs> but um, he looked up at me, and I, I stood across the room, and I'm you know a 17-year-old know-it-all and I, I basically pointed at him and I said, um, so help me God. I said, if you ever run out on this family, on me, mom, ever again, I'll never speak to you as long as you live. And uh, he takes that sure. as any dad would. It's it's right. It's a disappointment. Um, and he tried to give me a hug and I turned around, stormed up the stairs and refused to and Like I said, if if there's a moment where you're sitting in the the replay room and you could just kind of rewind the tape and edit it out, that's, that's the moment. Um, but eventually things got back to normal and, you know, my dad and I started to, to joke again and he got better because he started taking his medications regularly and, um, he managed it pretty well for the next couple years. And then, um, My reaction to my dad's depression changed over time as well, um, partially because you just start to reframe the the perspective. And I started to think, here's my dad who is a guy who can fix anything, a guy who everybody likes, like all this stuff. And if a guy like my dad can't get a handle on depression, this has got to be bigger, more complicated, and more difficult than anybody gives it credit for and then part of it stemmed from um, me suffering from, from mental illness as well. So I don't, I don't suffer from depression. I, I struggle with, uh, with clinical anxiety. And it all stems from a, a pretty traumatic hospital stay I had back in 2011. Um, long story short, sicker than I had ever felt. End up going to the emergency room just to give you some context they check me into the emergency room and my blood pressure which typically runs a little bit high anyway my blood pressure is 80 over 33 when they check me in and that sets off all kinds of bells sure. and whistles in a hospital. every doctor comes in <laughs> and starts asking you have you been out of the country have you right. you know have you touched a goat like all, all this weird <laughs> stuff that that you know you're not expecting um, I have a doctor come who comes into the hospital room and says so, this is like the list of the top 10 things that you don't want to die from. There's a chance that you could have about 14 of these. Oh boy. Great bedside manner. Right. So for the next probably nine months to a year, I spiral out of Mm. control. Um, I start sleeping about three hours a night, wake up in the middle of the night and have literally have visions of my own funeral. Um, wasn't eating, couldn't find pleasure in, in anything, was constantly obsessed with, like, checking my symptoms on WebMD, which this, I won't even charge you for this tip. But, like, if you if you have any type of symptom, don't go to WebMD because it will convince you that whatever you think you have, you have, and you also have, like, 17 other things that, that are wrong with you. Um, but I would just, I was locked into that world. And finally, one night I break down in front of my parents and I just say, here's what I'm dealing with. I, I know I've not been myself. And the way my dad reacted to me was how I should have reacted to him the first time. He just hugged me. He didn't judge me. Um, he, he didn't, uh, he didn't, beat me over the head because I I hadn't been who I should be for the, for the past couple months. So, um I will say this, I'm a, I'm a pretty spiritual guy. And one of one of my pastors, the the phrase he's always used which has always resonated with me is um when he prays, he says, you know, God, speak clearly to me because you know who you're dealing with. Right? I'm not the guy who's gonna get the subtle sign in in the trees or whatever it is and and be able to change my life because of that like I'm the kind of person for better or for worse who you're gonna have to beat me down a little bit to teach me something and I think in a way even though I, I don't I, I wish I never had to go through that experience I think that God was teaching me how to have sympathy for my father
0: mm-hmm.
1: by putting me through that. Um, and I'm glad that to an extent I went through it because I was going to need it. So you flash forward to, to 2013 in, in July, um, get a call from my mom pretty early in the morning. I was in grad school kind of last year coming up and, and I was working full time and, um, had decided to stay home that day because I was going to be working on a, a paper and, get a call from my mom and she says, Tyler, your dad's having a bad day. And that's kind of our code word for his depression has spiked again and things are not good. And, um, she says, I've tried everything I can. I, she said, it's been going on for about a week. I I haven't wanted to, to burden you with this, but I'm at a point where I just, I need some help. And she said, would you be willing to come talk to your dad? And I said, absolutely. I'll, I'll be there in a few minutes. Um, so the one piece that is is kind of essential to the story is um, I'm proud to say like at the age of 20 I was probably 23 24 um, you know I'm I'm independent I'm a grown man I bought my own home um, right around the corner from my parents so our, our backyards literally shared so I could walk like because it's like I'm I'm independent I'm a grown man but I probably still need to borrow your lawnmower <laughs> um, so so. <laughs> Getting to my parents' house was really easy. I just walked out the front door, turned around the corner, and then my side yard, butt up to their side yard, uh, it was the side yard where my dad and I had played catch for, you know, years because we had had lived in that neighborhood since I was six. Go into the house, walk downstairs, and I, I look and immediately know that this is probably as bad as it's ever been with my dad. He is like completely detached, kind of staring a hole into the carpet, a little bit not attuned to what's going on around him. The blinds are shut, dark, things like that. And eventually he looks up and he says, you know, Hey, Bob. And I said, Hey, dad. And I, uh, I sit down and, and just try to talk with him. So juxtapose that to that, that first moment of finding mm-hmm. out, you know, my dad suffered and I'm trying to talk him through all the things that could be contributing to this knowing that he's likely not going to be able to point the finger at one thing and say this is why I'm feeling the way I am because that's that's the reality with any mental illness. If you could snap your fingers and say this is what's causing it, you would remove that catalyst right. and you'd be fine. Right. So we talked about work, we talked about family life, we talked about everything that was was going on and and you know, he he tried to point to a couple things but there there was a a burden of guilt that I saw on my dad that day, that he really felt ashamed because every time he mentioned something that that could be the reason that was causing it, I'd say, Yeah, but but I should be able to deal with that. Mm. I should be able to deal with that. And and I shared with my dad, I said, you know, Dad, I when I went through my spell with like anxiety, I I kind of had that same mentality, but I couldn't have dealt with any of those things because I needed to be in my right mind to deal with them and and I wasn't and we tried to talk through some solutions right he was going to go to the doctor later that day and I offered to go with him and he said um you know that that he would he would be okay and then um he I tried to talk him into going to see a therapist I see a therapist regularly uh even when I'm feeling great just for maintenance right and it's been one of the best relationships of, of my entire life. And my dad was just like, that was the one thing he couldn't bring himself to do. Um, I mean, you you and I both know that there's a stigma that should not exist around getting professional help from mental health counselors. I think it runs particularly high in men mm-hmm. because we should be able to deal with this. the same thing my dad said to me on that day, and, and he wouldn't go. So I got up, and I, I walked across the room, and I just hugged my dad, and I told him I loved him, and, and he told me he loved me, and um, and I walked out of the house and went home and went back to the paper. My mom went off to work because um, she had been off for, for quite some time and trying to, trying to help my dad. About an hour later, uh, I got a phone call from a number I didn't recognize, and it was my mom's boss, Tom, and uh, he said, you know, he asked me where I was, what I was doing. And he said, Tyler, why well, I, I need you to get home. I need you to get home as quickly as you can. Uh, and I, I, I need to talk to you. I'll, I'll be waiting for you there. So this time I walk out of the house and I look across the yard and I immediately know things are not good. Um, there are a couple police cruisers, EMTs kind of screwing around the, the front yard. And I walk pretty slowly towards the house. Um, I look back on that moment and I, I wonder why I didn't like run towards the house. But honestly, I think in my mind, I knew what waited for me over there. And I knew that this is this is the last time I walk across this yard in kind of a a, a world that's not shattered. Right. Right. Um, and I get to the front door and Tom's standing there and he just he grabs me by the shoulder and he just shakes me really hard. And he said, Tyler, I, I need you to be strong with what I'm about to tell you. Um, he said, there's been an accident involving your dad. The paramedics are, are working and they're trying to to save his life, but we just don't know. Um, so I turn and I kind of start pacing and, you know, in, in my mind, Chad, I'm, I'm still telling myself things are going to be okay. Like this is going to be ugly. There's going to be lots of things and life is going to change. We're gonna have to do therapy, both physical and and mental and emotional. We're gonna have to do lots of things to rebound from this. But Dad's gonna be okay. He's he's been a fixer his entire life, and he's come through. He's come through every one of these episodes before. So even though this one's bad, he had never attempted before. This is gonna this is gonna be okay. So eventually they they bring my mom to me, and she feels tremendous guilt in in that moment because she. She left my dad and, and I'm trying to remove any of that I can because she was not responsible for any of it, right? Um and a couple minutes later, um uh, my grandpa comes out of the house and and he's not making eye contact with us. And he walks up and he just grabs my mom, who's his his only daughter, his his first daughter. Um, and he grabs me, he just hugs us real tight, and he just says he's gone. Um um so my my dad Scott Bradshaw was a, a victim of suicide at, at age 50. um everything's kind of a, a blur after that honestly I mean you any any hope you're holding on to in those moments all the all the plans I had set in my head about things are going to be okay in therapy like it's it's gone the the bottom has dropped out right and you immediately start second guessing while you're grieving which is never good um and you start saying are there things are, are there things I I could have done differently or you know what what happened in there I I still didn't even accept it in those moments like dad had just he had come through everything, and I'm like, it, it, it just can't, it can't end this way, it can't. Um, but it did, and and you know, I mean, you you know how it is. <laughs> it's um, it's not real until you are standing next to a coffin, and I was, um. And we had nearly a thousand people show up to my dad's visitation. All just as blindsided as as my mom and I were. (laughs) And the thing we heard more than anything else over and over again was we had no idea. Because my dad was very good at wearing a mask, right? He was that guy who was happy all the time. Except for behind closed doors and in his own mind. Um, pretty early on, I had resolved myself to the fact that I was not going to live life the way I was as a result or, or I, I, let me try that again I was not going to continue living, the way I had been like, I, I wasn't just going to pretend that my dad's death didn't, didn't happen. I wasn't going to um, be silent about it. That I was I was going to try to do something. Um, and. Over time, you know, thought maybe I'll write a book and then I don't know if anybody's told you writing a book is really difficult. <laughs> I mean, they're long and you have to I mean, you have to stay like dedicated to it and things. Um, so I had, I had multiple people suggesting, have you ever thought about starting a blog? And I kind of had an idea of like, I think I know what bloggers do and like, that's not what I want to do. But over time it just felt right, um, to be able to share my dad's story in that platform. And I started, and, and, and I will say writing has always been extremely therapeutic for me. Uh, I have always found a lot of comfort in, in writing when I put my, my thoughts and my feelings down on paper, it's almost like I can handle them because they're tangible. Right. And writing is really the only way for me to do that. Um, so I I started the blog, which is, is called see above, which is a testament to my dad. He, that was his way of saying goodbye to me every time. And this blog is my way of, of really, um, saying goodbye to him. It was ironic that, um, see above the initials were SB, which my dad, Scott Bradshaw, mm. those were his as well. And that's what in the logo you see a, an SB with like a circle around it. That was the way my dad always signed his okay. initials all the time. So I try to honor him in little ways like that. But really the the purpose was, was twofold. Part of it was, I want to help other people. I want to help people who are, are struggling with mental illness to know that It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay for you to stay that way, that you can't meet the same end my dad did, that you need to be here because there are people who care about you and who love you and you deserve to be healthy. So it's okay to struggle with mental illness and anxiety, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, any host of mental illnesses, but it's not okay for you to stay in that place. You have to get help. And, and I'm not, I'm not a trained counselor, right? So my goal is to kind of be the guy who, who kicks up the dust a little bit that that hopefully is the catalyst to people saying, I heard this story. I can't let myself meet that end, so I'm going to go talk to a therapist or I'm going to start taking medication regularly or I'm going to start exercising at, you know, 530 in the morning to get my, my neurotransmitters balanced, whatever it is. Um, and part of it was a wake-up call. Suicide sounds like a really distant thing until it happens to your family. Then it gets real. Um, And I start doing some research, right? And I'm finding out that in the United States, 123 people on average die from suicide every single day. If you do the the math on that, that's essentially every 11 minutes somebody loses their life from suicide. I wasn't okay with that. I wasn't okay with letting that type of of thing continue to happen, and not trying to do something about it. and And I and I told myself pretty early on, you might not be able to eradicate suicide, but if you can if you can push back the clock a little bit, if you can make that average every twelve minutes or every fifteen minutes or whatever it may be, in in a small way, um, it's it's all been worth it. Every every bit of it, every every time I have to retell this story and kind of kick up the emotions in, in my own life, it's worth telling it. And if I can get to the other side, I've always told my—the the night I launched this blog, I I remember I, I pray before I hit the button. And I said to myself, and I, and I prayed to God, I said, if I get to the other side, and this is the most frustrating, heart-wrenching experience that I've ever had to go through— if I get to the other side and you can grab me by the shoulder and point to one person and say that one person read a blog post, they went to see a therapist or they went to, they shared that they were struggling when previously they had kept it behind and they, they lived a long and healthy life because of that moment. It's all been worth it. I don't care how many people read it. I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't care anything about that. Um, so it's, it's not a, a numbers game for me and it, it never has been. The other part, I know this is a long-winded answer, but the the other kind of manifestation in wanting to do this this blog, um, and you know this, having lost your own dad. You grieve initially at the loss, right? And then over time, you start to forget things about that person. You forget the way they talked. You forget the way they um, they they just did things—little things, big things. Um, there's a guilt that comes along with like a, a new normal, right? So you you almost feel guilty when you get to that first like that first birthday that it's not the first thing you think of when you when you wake up in yeah. the morning, right? Yeah. Um, and over time, the the further, I got away from my dad's death, I felt like I was losing him all over again because I would forget little things about him. And part of the blog has been wanting to capture, wanting to capture who he was and have it where I can't forget it, right? Um, and being able to to just relive the man he was, because, I mean, you, you'll find on the on the blog if, if you visit it. Um, posts are about mental illness and about grief. But then there are posts about just my dad, who he was. Um,
0: Those are the Scott stories. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and they... Um, it's funny because I'll come into contact with people who, who knew my dad and I'll hear stories about him that I didn't previously know. Hmm. And... It's almost like he's alive again, right? Because he's he's still living on in so many other people's lives, and and um, so so part of the blog was was that, and and you know my dad um my dad never got to meet my wife Paige, and that that breaks me up more than anything because they would have just been peas in a pod, um, they they would have been they 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 just would have. Gelled from the moment they met, and my dad would have would have had a a daughter and a child who was actually a good athlete for a change. <laughs> um, and you know, there's there's part of me that one of the one of the hardest elements. My dad would have been a great grandfather. He would have been that that grandfather who just lived for his grandchildren and having fun with them and and doing silly things. And it eats me alive that he never got to have that experience, right? And I know there's going to be a day where um, Paige and I have children, and they're going to say, w- "Where's your dad?" You know what? And, and, and part of the blog self selfishly is being able to say, "This is who your grandpa was." Um, more, more than he was not defined by what he struggled with, but he was defined by how he lived his life. And the blog for me is is the way of, of doing that. Um, it has morphed into talking publicly about my dad. I, I go to, um, to schools and, and speak and, and tell my dad's story. Um, there's one school I go into the health classes twice a year. And I, for seven bells in a row, I tell this story over and over again. Um, and you realize what a problem it is when um, the first time I did it, and we're doing this at the ninth grade level. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, ninth grade, this is good developmentally because we're going to be able to cut this off before it happens. I got a young girl who's crying as I'm talking and I can tell it's it's affecting her she walks up to me afterwards and she looks at me and she doesn't introduce herself she doesn't say hello she just she looks at me and she says I was 10 years old the first time I tried to take my own life and, and she starts to tell me her story and it's it's so heart-wrenching that You just you never imagine people are dealing with what they're they're dealing with especially at such an early age um, so it it has all been worth it and it continues to be worth it um, just had the 90th blog post wow uh, which was <laughs> which was pretty cool we've done a lot of, of guest blogs with you know the the community of people that supported me through losing my dad but also, um, mental health professionals, pastors, um, lots of other people to try and break down the stigmas related to mental health and, and show it for the complexity and, and normalize it a little bit for people who are suffering. Um, so between the speaking engagements, the writing, um, I'd, i selfishly, I'd give it all up just to have my dad back, but knowing that that's not the case now, um, This is my way of having him back.
0: Thank you for listening today. If you heard something that makes you want to come back, we're here just about every week. Follow us on your podcast service and maybe give someone else a heads up about our show. You can find show notes and other information on our website, tafpodcast.com. I'm going to go ahead and throw a link up there to See You, Bub, which is Tyler's blog about his dad. There's some Scott stories on there about specific memories Tyler has of his father, and some other articles about mental health and spirituality, if that helps you on your own journey. You know, you never really know what someone may be struggling with, so don't just be good to the refs. Be good to everyone with whom you cross paths.